This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. I last time on the podcast in 2020, where we recorded episode 101, Keto and Fasting the Right Way. He's back with a brand new best-selling book, Keto Flex. He's also on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. He's the founder of Keto Camp, a dear friend, an incredible human, and I'm so thrilled to bring another podcast with Ben to you. Anyway, I'm so excited to connect with you today. I'm loving all the attention you're getting with your new book. I know it's been a labor of love. Let's tell the podcast listeners a little bit about your new book, and then we're going to dive into it. Yeah. And thank you so much for endorsing the book. You wrote a great testimonial that I was honored to include in the book. So thank you. And thank you for welcoming me back to your show as well. Your awesome podcast. Yeah. The book has been a labor of love. Like you mentioned, it took me a little over two years to get it complete and it's 311 pages. And I believe it's 311 pages of keto gold. Mm -hmm. I really got into the history of keto and fasting. And then I outline some of the science, but in practical ways so you mm-hmm. could apply it. So it really just dives deep into my four pillar approach to keto and fasting, which is first getting into ketosis, the fat adaptation period, which is the first pillar. The second pillar is called fast because we do different fasting strategies. The third pillar is called phase. We phase out all anti-nutrients. We actually do a variation of carnivore. Mm-hmm. And then it leads you to that fourth pillar, which is my favorite, the flex pillar, where we intentionally get yourself out of ketosis and we start flexing in and out. So in a nutshell, that's what the book is about. And there's also a chapter on sleep in there. I just couldn't, as you know, you talk about it a lot. You can't (laughs) avoid, you can't leave the sleep out of the conversation. And there's also chapter 12 on how to apply it for women who are cycling and Mm -hmm. women who are postmenopausal. So that's a general overview of the book. Well, I think of you as one of my favorite keto experts and I love, you know, I've read the book from cover to cover and I really love that you make the information accessible because we forget sometimes when we understand things at a deeper level that people are all starting from different points. You know, they may have a science background, they may not. I I think keto means so many different things to so many people. I was telling someone the other day when we talk about clean fasting, versus dirty fasting. There's clean keto and dirty keto. And one of the things that I really appreciate about your message and your positivity is that you talk a lot about what keto is and what keto is not. And so on many, many levels, ketified junk food and keto is not copious amounts of butter, although obviously you want to enjoy your healthy fats. And so I'd love to really start from the beginning when we're talking about a ketogenic diet, when we're talking about ketosis, I think a lot of people get fixated on numbers. I actually have a client of mine that is fairly new to keto and she has a keto meter and she has a lumen and she has a biosense meter and she's very, very preoccupied with the values that she's getting. And so I was trying to kind of spin her out of that mindset. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, just briefly, what is ketosis why do we want to be in ketosis? Why do we want to aim for this and why we shouldn't be fixated on devices? It's not to suggest that there isn't value, 
but we don't want to be bouncing back and forth because what I feel like happens is people get so fixated on the number, much like they do when they're on the scale that they lose sight of all the wonderful things they're already doing for their bodies. So let's start there. Great question. Great place to start, Cynthia. So keto technically is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. And every single one of our ancestors did keto. Their environment forced them into periods of time where they were burning fat and their brain needed an energy source. And that energy source was ketones, beta-hydroxybutyrate. So there's nothing new about it. It's just a little bit more nuanced. A lot of people come to keto because they're thinking about it as a weight loss tool or of some sort of fad diet, but that's not necessarily what keto is. It's a metabolic process. And there is a tremendous benefits to teaching your body to burn fat as the primary fuel source, not the only fuel source, but the primary fuel source. Number one, when we look at the body from that cider lens, we see that there's about 50 to 70 trillion cells inside of the body. And out of those trillion cells, we only have two options for fuel. Either the cells are burning glucose, sugar, or burning fat, producing ketones. When the cells are stuck as sugar burners, glucose burners, it's a toxic fuel source. It creates a lot of cellular toxins. Same thing if I burn firewood in this room right now, it would create smoke, which are toxins. The cells produce energy via the mitochondria, ATP, and it produces toxins, cellular smoke. When you are burning glucose, it creates a lot of these cellular byproducts. And I compare that to a truck, that a Mack truck that's speeding through the streets with this all the smoke being blasted out of the exhaust pipe. Well, that Mack truck, not healthy for the surrounding environment. You have all this smoke being blasted on the cars, on the trees, on the road. When the cells are burning glucose and only glucose, it's like that truck. It's not healthy for the cellular environment. So why would we want to use keto? Well, we want to teach the cells to switch over to burning fat, which is a cleaner source of energy for the cells. I compare that to a Tesla cruising through the streets, much cleaner for the surrounding environment, much cleaner for your cellular environment. So that's what we want to do. We want to teach the body to burn fat instead of sugar, and we're designed to burn fat. It is our primal birthright. Babies that are given breast milk go in and out of ketosis because breast milk has saturated fat and cholesterol, and it helps the development of the baby's brain. And then my final point here is when we look at the cells, there is this lipid bilayer, lipid meaning fat. So this cell membrane, which is the intelligence of the cell. It was once believed that the DNA nucleus was the intelligence of the cell, but Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I just interviewed two days ago, he has proven that it's actually the membrane that communicates to the DNA. Well, the membrane is made up of protein, saturated fat, and cholesterol. So the body loves fat. We thrive off of fat, and that's why we want to use clean keto to get into ketosis. I love that explanation because it really exemplifies the fact that keto is not something that's trendy, much like fasting. You know, we talk a lot about this and I think for so many people, there's this misconception about what it is. I love that you emphasize not only in your book, but throughout social media and all of your content that we really want to burn our own fat. So endogenous fat as a fuel source, as opposed to exogenous, that doesn't mean we don't enjoy a fatty piece of meat or, you know, avocado, or I don't used to like to use nuts as an example, because they're so easy to overeat, but, you know, high quality olive oil and those kinds of things. We want to make sure that we're enjoying those things, but primarily we want to burn our own body's fat. And that is a huge departure from a lot of the, as I call kind of funny keto that I see on social media, where people will have these massive plates 
of like cheese and avocado and bacon and all sorts of stuff like nuts. And I'm like, it's so easy because it's such a, a macro dense, you know, food entity that it's so easy to overdo it. Like it's one of the few things that I will measure. Like if I'm measuring out macadamia nuts or if I'm measuring out oil, I always measure it as opposed to I eyeball most other things. I eyeball protein. I will eyeball non-starchy vegetables. I will eyeball fruit because it's just so easy to get on that slippery slope. Do you find for a lot of your clients that it's not until they get really honest with themselves that they're able to acknowledge that maybe they're overdoing it. It's so easy because fats are delicious, right? You know, it's easy to eat a lot of guacamole and a lot of nuts and a lot of cheese and things like that. Yeah, I do see that. So typically they come to that realization and I help them come to that realization when they hit a stall Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, I was losing about two pounds a week and all of a sudden I'm not losing anything. So I asked them, you know, how much fat are you eating? You could get your fat calories from the plate of food in front of you, or you could get it from your butt, your hips, and your thighs. So maybe it's time to maybe increase the protein and decrease the fat, let your body burn its own body fat. Now, in the beginning, I think it's great to have an abundance of healthy fat. And I say the beginning, the first 14 days of doing keto, because that'll start teaching your body to start utilizing fatty acids instead of glucose. But after that, if you have extra body fat on your body, which a lot of people have, then it is a good idea to start increasing the protein, decreasing the fat. And to your point, Cynthia, allow the body to tap into its own body fat as a fuel source. So it typically happens when that person hits a stall and then we look at what they're having and it's a handful of cashews leading to three handfuls of cashews. It's the guac, it's the fat in the coffee, which I'm all for all those healthy fats, but the body does need to burn those calories before it burns the body fat calories. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I was interviewing Maria Emmerich a couple of weeks ago and she's just amazing. This little ball of energy. Agreed. And she was mentioning that she thinks of nuts as carbs. And so it was really interesting because in my mind, I've been like, oh, they're fats, they're fats, they're fats. And then I started reading the packages that nuts come in. And in my house, we have to be really careful because I have a child with a nut allergy, but I do enjoy on occasion macadamia nuts. They're like one of my favorite things. And I was saying to my husband, I was like, wow, I never thought about it like that. And something so simplistic, but when she said people overeat nuts and it's really a carb problem, it's not so much a fat problem. And I was like, it's amazing how someone can say something to you, can completely spin your whole impression of a particular food source. And you're like, you know, you're right. People overdo nuts and macadamia nuts for anyone that's listening tend to be lower carb than a lot of other nuts. So let's be clear about that. But just something, if people are struggling with, plateaus, weight loss, et cetera, just being really honest about your portion sizes as it pertains in particular to nuts and cheese, which, you know, I don't think people overdo it with seeds. I think people overdo it with nuts, especially like a dry roasted nut or Mm -hmm. really good quality cheese. No one's eating an ounce of cheese. Let's be honest. Like (laughs) no one is doing that. Now I got some questions on social media about testing for ketones. Like I was saying, a lot of people are very data-driven, a lot of the biohacking influence, which I think is super cool. And I'm doing a whole biohacking month in the podcast. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, because people are asking a lot of questions. And I always say, let me bring in the experts because I'm interested in this, but it's obviously not my area of expertise. And so when we're looking at ketones, I know you can test urine ketones, you can test blood ketones, you can you know, use things like Lumen to get a sense for whether or not you're 
predominantly in fat versus carbohydrate burn. What are your thoughts on these? Are these helpful in the beginning when people are first kind of dipping their toe in the pond of keto, or do they become an impediment as people become fixated on numbers? Like oftentimes like they do at the scale. Mm, I could think it could be all of the above. So in the beginning, I like to, and I say it in the book, I like to really teach the person that you don't want to chase ketones. You want to chase results. With that being said, is it a good idea to test in the beginning to make sure you're hitting those numbers and your protocol is working for you? I think so. And there's three ways to test. As you mentioned, there's acetoacetate, which is in the urine. It's expelled in the urine. There's acetone, which is the breath. And then there's BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is found in the blood. I'm going to eliminate the urine one, acetoacetate, just because when the body is efficient and the brain is efficient at using those ketones, it will not spill out in the urine. And I'm sure you see it all the time. I'm doing keto perfectly, but my urine strips are showing that I'm not in ketosis. Yeah. When in reality, it probably are. It's just that their body's using it, which is a good mm -hmm. thing. So I don't like the urine strips. Maybe the first few days after that, not a big fan of them. For breath, I have seen different meters over the years and they have been really irregular and not that accurate. I like Biosense. You mentioned Biosense. They're actually a great meter. I've never experimented with Lumen, so I have no input on them. I know that you like them. Biosense is great, but I'm going to focus on blood because that's kind of the gold standard, beta-hydroxybutyrate. So there's different machines. There's Keto Mojo, there's Keto Coach, other machines you can use. I do recommend getting a meter, especially in the first month. And the sweet spot I've seen for ketones, BHB, the blood ketones, is somewhere between 0.8 and about 3.0 or 2.8 to 3.0, somewhere in there. You know, we don't necessarily want high amounts of beta-hydroxybutyrate in the bloodstream because it just means your body's not really using it. But 0.8 to 2.8 or 0.8 to 3.0 is a good range to be in. It means you're burning fat and you should feel really good. You should feel those effects of the ketones. At the same time, it's also important to look at your glucose because if the glucose is high and you have ketones present, the body will utilize the glucose because it's more of a, a toxic fuel source. The body wants to get rid of the toxic fuel source first. So for fasting glucose, 70 to 90 is a good range. And then I also like looking at postprandial glucose an hour after eating. I like that to be below 120 and then two hours after eating below 100. So if you're getting all those, if you're hitting all those markers, you're in between 0.8 and 2.8 ketones, you're hitting those ranges for glucose, you're doing the right thing. But the problem is this, like you said, so many people are fixated on the number on the glucose mm -hmm. and the ketones, and you'll get there over time. If you're not hitting those numbers, stick with the protocol, maybe reassess. It could be your sleep is a little bit off. It could be some other things going on with stress, reassess the fundamentals and then retest. But once you get really good at it and understanding that you're hitting your numbers, I don't think there's a need to test months or years in unless you kind of want to do it as an experiment. But for me, I know when I'm in ketosis, I don't really test that often these days. Well, and I think that's really valuable because for so many people, they get as I mentioned, they get fixated on the number and then they're forgetting about all the benefits they're deriving from their bodies. Someone messaged me this morning and said, I keep getting eights on my ketone meter. And I was like, hmm, I'm not even touching that. But <laughs> the point being that, you know, it's a good check-in with yourself, but I do believe that once we've been in ketosis or we've been, or we're relatively fat adapted, we know when we're in that sweet spot, we feel good. We have plenty of energy, a lot of mental clarity, we can exercise. I do. It's interesting. I kind of have been diving into data-driven fasting. Are you familiar with Marty's work? No. Well, he does a lot of work with glucometers. And so I think it's a great kind of concept. If people are stuck, you know, we mentioned plateaus and he advocates that people 
check their blood sugar before they eat. And if it's not in that kind of like fasting range that they hold off eating mm. and same thing, if they have a meal and their blood sugar goes up by 30 points that they have overdone it with carbohydrates. And so next time that they consume a meal like that, more protein, less carbs. And so it's really been kind of interesting. And, and for all of us that are in this intermittent fasting space, as we're kind of seeing what other people are doing, it's like, hmm, that's where I think like some of that data-driven information I think can be beneficial, but not so that it then becomes the whole guiding principle for how we lead our lives. Like I know even for myself, when I was wearing a continuous glucose monitor and I had to take a break because I was getting kind of tired of it. I was telling my husband, it was becoming like, I don't want to use the term obsessive, but I was checking it so frequently that I was like, okay, this isn't healthy because eventually I'm not going to wear this anymore. And I have to get a good sense for how I feel after I eat a certain kind of meal or don't have a good night's sleep or any of these things. So I think these devices can be hugely beneficial on the short term, but we don't want to be obsessive about it because then it can almost become a preoccupation. It's like, you're not truly participating in your life because you're so fixated on a result or a number, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now I know that you have four pillars in the book and obviously intermittent fasting is something that I'm a huge fan of, as I know you are, but I'd love to kind of talk about the role of sleep, which we all know is foundational to our health and how that can impact our ability to become fat adapted, have success with intermittent fasting. Let's talk about that because I feel that most, if not all people in the intermittent fasting space aren't necessarily talking about it enough, but it's so critically important. And I would love for listeners to get a better appreciation for how you kind of tie that into the book as well. Yeah. Great question because it is so important. And once you optimize the sleep, then the keto and the fasting and the supplements and everything will work more efficiently. So we know that from Scientific American, there's so many studies on there that show just one poor night of sleep will result in higher levels of cortisol the next Mm -hmm. morning, that stress hormone. Glucose follows cortisol, insulin follows glucose, and then ketones go down. So just getting crappy sleep will knock you out of ketosis and it wipes out your willpower because ghrelin is higher the next day, which is your hunger hormone, and leptin is lower. So when you do eat, you're less satisfied, you want more food. So you're just left scrambling that next day, not a good idea. So if you could just optimize getting at least seven hours of quality sleep each night, you'll make better decisions the next day, you'll have more optimal numbers for glucose, and you're gonna be able to get into ketosis. So many wonderful things happen during sleep. You educate about that all the time, Cynthia. One of them during Delta sleep is the brain literally shrinks in size, which is super cool. You have this cerebral spinal fluid that flushes over the brain like dishwasher fluid, and it starts flushing out accumulated plaques and proteins and toxins via the glymphatic system. And all this is happening while you're just sleeping. You're unconscious. Not to mention, you're also activating your fat-burning hormones, growth hormone is spiking, you're burning fat, your body's repairing and recovering. Nobody burns fat in the gym and builds muscle in the gym, by the way. They do it when they recover and sleep and repair. That's where the magic happens. So we want to, yes, exercise and be active, but then you want to pair that with the recovering and the repair. So, so many great things are happening during sleep. So many people sacrifice sleep to go exercise at the gym, to go that CrossFit workout. But if they actually got that extra hour of sleep, they'll get more benefits that way. So I'm a big fan of it. And, and I think it's chapter 11 in the book. 15 biohacks for sleep. So it's a short chapter and I just give you 15 biohacks and you could just apply some of them or all of them, but it'll help you get better sleep starting tonight. As you know, it's so important, Cynthia. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? 
If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. 
WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. No, it really is. And I think that it's undervalued, underappreciated, and maybe that is one of the you know, blessings out of the past year for so many of us is that we've had to slow down. And for me, I used to be one of those people that would jump out of bed at 4.30 and go to this crazy conditioning class and then run to the, you know, see patients at the hospital and run home to, you know, pick up my children after school. And so, you know, the one thing I've started doing is I've started sleeping in later. Like I don't get up at 4.30 or five o'clock and oftentimes it's six or 6.30, sometimes seven. And that extra hour, hour and a half, two hours of sleep is just bliss. And, you know, anyone that recalls, you know, how things were, and I'm laughing, you just recently got engaged, but I'm thinking back to when my husband and I had babies at home and, you know, those first couple of years of your children's life where you really just, especially for six months, you really don't get enough sleep. And I used to think back to the fact that, oh my God, I could while I was breastfeeding, I could finish a pan of brownies or I could eat a ton mm. of cookies. And that's not normally how I eat, but because I was so sleep deprived, my body was looking for a quick source of, of fuel. And yep. so I wasn't craving broccoli, although I certainly ate plenty of it. But the point we're trying to make is that the most important thing you can do, the biggest gift you can give yourself, is getting a good night of sleep every single night and doing it in a way that, you know, just like we prepare our children to go to sleep at night, we kind of have a process. You may not be at this point, Ben, but I am definitely at this point where I have a whole sleep ritual. And if I do all the things, then I will get a good night's sleep. Like I woke up this morning, had a fantastic night of sleep. I was able to like go to the gym, do all the things I've been, you know, busy, busy, busy all day. And on days when I don't get a good night's sleep, I mean, that's the days that, you know, I'll crave junk or I'll just be grumpy. My whole family knows if I haven't gotten enough sleep, but the point we're trying to impress upon everyone that's listening is endeavor to get high quality sleep. So let's give out one biohacking benefit of more sleep or one tip or trick that you would recommend, like number one for sleep. Oh, number one. Wow. That's a tough one. But I am like <laughs> you, Cynthia. I also prior, I have my routine. I'm very diligent. There's only probably two times out of the year, unless I'm traveling, but two times out of the year that I stay up past 11 PM. And that's mm -hmm. probably Christmas Eve. Cause my now fiance likes to stay up till midnight for the presents. Mm -hmm. And then New Year's Eve and, and I'm miserable. I'm like, I want to go to bed. <laughs> exactly. um, so my favorite biohack or, or sleep tip would be the money time sleep window. So there is sometime between 10 PM and 2 AM. You get most of that Delta sleep, the growth hormone, and it's based off of the circadian rhythm. The sun goes down, we're supposed to go to bed shortly thereafter. And it's been estimated that one hour of sleep within this window is equivalent to two hours of sleep outside of this window in getting that deep delta sleep. So if you could prioritize going to bed between, going to bed by 10 p.m. and being asleep 10 p.m. to at least 2 a.m., you're gonna maximize this window. I love that tip. Of course, it's different based off of where you live in the world. Sometimes the sun goes down a lot earlier. You might need to go to bed earlier, but that's a powerful tip. I'll give one more real quick. And that's um, banana tea. I talk about this in my book and I learned about it from Dr. Michael Bruce, America's Sleep Doctor. And it is keto friendly, by the way. You just grab a whole banana, you leave the peel on, but you cut off the ends. The peel of the banana has more micronutrients, potassium, magnesium, than the actual banana itself. 
So you just let it boil, make sure it's organic, let it boil with about two cups of water until the peel starts to turn brown. And then you just pour that into a cup. You could add some cinnamon or some chamomile in there. Drink that. It's like nature's NyQuil. That could, that could help you relax and get ready for your nighttime routine. That's fantastic. I think back in my nutrition program, I heard about that, but I've never done it. But there's certainly a lot of people that listen to this podcast that struggle with sleep. So that's a really easy tip because I would imagine nearly everyone has a browned up banana in their kitchen that needs mm-hmm. a purpose, a higher purpose. <laughs> yeah, so, we all do. Yes. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about you know some of the modifications to the fasting kind of mindset, diet, nutritional program that you have really become known for. I know that last year when we met, you did a whole month of carnivore, which is a great way to kind of reset the gut. And I certainly became a carnivore-ish gal in 2019 when I was trying to recover from being in the hospital. But I'd love for you to kind of touch on some of the unique things that you've done with the traditional ketogenic diet that have really been hugely impactful for your clients and for your keto camp community. Yeah, absolutely. And I love carnivore as well as a tool. Uh, Carnivore-ish is is a great go-to. So for fasting, the way that I apply it is we add it after somebody's fat adapted. And I think that's going to make a big difference because fasting, the way that I look at it is it's a muscle. We want to develop that muscle, build that muscle, and we start low and slow. Just like if you were a couch potato for 10 years, you wouldn't just go and do a CrossFit workout tomorrow. You would train for it. You would build up your muscles. You would make sure you're ready for that workout. Fasting is similar. It's a tool, a very powerful tool, but a chainsaw is a powerful tool and a chainsaw can get you amazing results or a chainsaw could hurt you, huh, Cynthia? Yes. <laughs> so you're laughing. That's why. <laughs> I was an ER nurse in my past life. I've seen a lot of you know uh, unique traumas related to machinery. <laughs> I could only imagine what you saw there. Wow. Yeah. So same thing. Fasting is a heavy machinery tool that could be amazing, but the most important thing is how you use that tool. So there's different fasting strategies. I know that we both agree that variety is the spice of life. Mm-hmm. You say that often and how we shouldn't stick with the same fasting schedule or the same keto foods over and over and over because your body will achieve a homeostasis and you'll begin to plateau just like you wouldn't do the same workout over and over. So I like different fasting strategies. I like an 18-6 for most days, meaning 18 hours fasted, six hours eating with two keto-friendly meals within that window. I think having a 24-hour water fast once per week could be profound for not just fat loss, but for autophagy, that cellular repair, and also healing the gut. There's some really great research. MIT has a study that shows 24-hour fast strengthened intestinal stem cells. So those are a couple of ways to do it. And then you could also throw in a block fast, which is an extended water fast, three or more days. Of course, you want to work with somebody if you're doing that. You want to monitor your glucose and your ketones. I love fasting, especially when you pair it with keto, because they both do two things that we all need. They both lower glucose and insulin, allow the body to burn fat, reduce inflammation, heal the gut, and let your body harness this innate intelligence, this inner position within us. So those are a few of the strategies that I use, and I talk about it in the book. How do you think we've gotten so far off base as a nation? And I know that's kind of overly simplistic, but... You know, when I reflect back, even to when I started practicing as a nurse and a nurse practitioner, we've seen these profound shifts in the way that people eat 
and the way that people drink. And it doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol, but the amount of, you know, accessible sugary drinks that people can be consuming from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. I think a recent statistic I read was that the average American over the course of 24 hours, this is unbelievable, 19 out of 24 hours, they are consuming something sugar sweetened or consuming food. And that just blows my mind. I'm like, really, there's just five hours out of the day that people aren't eating something Mm -hmm. like that just blows my mind. So where do you think we got soft base? I mean, I know this is more of like a philosophical question, but these are the things that I, as the longer I do this, the more I just think like, where did we get so off base that we were conditioned to believe that we should eat all day long and not move our bodies and not sleep enough and not manage our stress. I mean, it's kind of the antithesis of the way that our ancestors lived. And I'm not suggesting that our ancestors didn't have stress. They had a lot of stress, but it doesn't optimize the human physiology. It's not good for us on any level. And I think the more I get invested in like brain health, and there's a really great book I'm reading by a researcher out of Cornell And she really looks at the women's health and brain health. And in particular, the more I read her book that I'm like, wow, like we've gotten so far off base. So I'd love to get your insights. I mean, I know you're able to interact with some of the most bright, intelligent, capable human beings in this space. And so what have you absorbed from, you know, the discussions that you've had with other experts? That is crazy. 19 hours out of a 24-hour period. I heard a, a, a similar stat, Cynthia. My colleague, Dr. Don Klum, who is a chiropractor, he did a patient survey on hundreds of his patients, and he wanted them to write down every time they ate something, meaning a snack, even if it was healthy. Mm-hmm. And the average person was snacking 17 to 23 times per day. They were eating 17 to 23 times per day in this constant fed state. So how did we get to this place? You know, We're not designed to do this. We're designed for this metabolic flexibility to eat and then fast, right? Feast famine cycles. We're still hardwired every single cell, every single DNA in the cell hardwired for the old school to this day. It's been intentional. You know, we look at Franken food companies, big pharma, they make a lot of money when people are eating a lot of their products, they're addicted to their products. We have brilliant scientists who are paid a lot of money to manufacture food that we become addicted to. You know, human beings are the only species smart enough to create their own food and dumb enough to eat it. (laughs) So we have these scientists that are manufacturing these highly addictive foods that are really uh, lighting up the pleasure uh, reward symptoms, parts of the brain, which I'm sure that book talks about, the dopamine hits that we're getting all day long, and we become hooked. And then people pay more money for it, and then people get sick, And then they have to rely on medications, which is another subscription. Like medication is really just a subscription membership. You're paying to the the big pharma. So we've gotten off track big time. We want to make sure we actually are taking responsibility. You know, my life changed. I used to be obese, as I shared on your previous conversation we had. My life changed the second I took responsibility. And that word is something that is lost on people, especially this day. That is your ability to respond. It is your responsibility to do critically thinking, to critically think and to discover what's healthy for you, to see what's going on out there and to empower yourself and take ownership and just take it one day at a time. So we've been duped by mainstream media, 
by articles on our Facebook feed, even by the government. So I will share that George Costanza analogy that I learned from Dr. Fung. (laughs) (laughs) George Costanza was from Seinfeld and he was a character who was miserable on that show. He was unhappy. He was broke. He was just a depressed guy getting crappy results in life. And on a specific episode on the show, he decided, okay, I'm going to do everything opposite of what I had been doing up until this point. So instead of ordering a chicken salad, he ordered a tuna salad. He would walk up to a girl and he would usually lie to her saying he's some big shot. But instead he said, I'm George. He would take off his hat. He'd say, I'm bald. I live with my mom. Nice to meet you. (laughs) And she would welcome him and his life started to improve. He Mm -hmm. was happier. He was healthier. He was making more money because he started to do everything opposite of what he originally had done up until that point. So the point of the story is this. When you look at what the government is promoting, what the mainstream media promotes, do the complete opposite, the George Costanza effect, and you're probably going to go down the right direction. No, I think that's such a great point. And it's unfortunate that we're in a position where so many of us either have to go through a health crisis or we have to question what's going on. I always say my why starts with my children. And there was a book that I read gosh, more than 12 years ago called The Unhealthy Truth, which completely changed my life. And if you Mm. haven't read Robin O'Brien's The Unhealthy Truth, that truly changed the trajectory of my career, my life as a mother, nurse practitioner, wife, et cetera. And I am forever indebted to her because it really got me thinking very differently about the food industry, the role of big ag and the government. And so for anyone that's listening, it doesn't have to be that you go out and read that book. But when you read a book and it makes you go, huh, and you can't stop thinking about it, and it goes contrary to dogma that you were schooled with, or it goes contrary to the belief system you were raised with, that's okay. Like I remind people all the time, we are designed to evolve, shift, and change throughout our lifetime. And I am not the clinician I was when I started in 1998, and I am not the parent I was when I started in 2005. And so much of that is because I allow myself the opportunity to critically think, investigate, like, just like I told you that data-driven fasting is kind of the rabbit hole I'm down right now. And I'm just like, I can't stop reading about it. It's so fascinating, but I think it's so important for all of us to read things that like stimulate our brain. That's why we're so fortunate that we have access to great podcasts like yours and mine and many others and great books like your new book, Keto Flex, and so many other books that I have the true privilege of being able to interact with the authors. So I'd love for you to share, are there any books you're reading right now? I'm sure you're probably like totally burned out on reading, but I always (laughs) love to hear what other people are kind of diving into. What are you like getting totally invested in right now? What are you nerding out over? Like I just shared what I'm nerding out over that and brain health right now. Yeah, totally. I love that. (laughs) We nerd out together, Cynthia. (laughs) Actually, I've been listening to two books right now, every morning and throughout the day, listening instead of reading. Dr. Wayne Dyer, he has this ultimate library collection on Audible, which is just superb. So every morning as I make my coffee and do my morning routine, I'm listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer. And then when I'm out and about driving or walking my dog or washing dishes or even cooking, I'm listening to Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you heard of that book before? I have not. That book is a classic. It's from the 1960s or 1970s. Dr. Maxwell Maltz wrote it. He was a plastic surgeon, but the reason he wrote the book is because he noticed that when he would perform a surgery on his patients, typically in 21 to 28 days, the patient will feel like they actually had that new nose or that new ear, that new smile, and they would live that way and be more confident. 
But there was a small percentage of his patients that never felt that way. Even months or years after the procedure, they still felt like they were that person with the big nose or the whatever the, it was before the procedure. So he wanted to find out why. And it turns out we have this self-limiting belief system and we have this, he called it a thermostat and how it doesn't allow us to kind of break through to achieve success in life, whether it's happiness or whether it's health. And we kind of sabotage ourselves to reach this homeostasis of success. So he talks about that in the book and it's just so fascinating. It really helps you understand this self-image mm-hmm. and it helps you break through. Maybe you are stuck with your health results and you keep sabotaging yourself. Like you do everything right. You're starting to get results and then you have a weekend of just picking out and you're, you know, you're self-sabotaging yourself. This book will help you understand that. So I love it. I'm listening to it. I've read it in the past and it made a big difference in my life when I read it several years ago and it's still making a big difference to this day. Those are the two books. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. 
No, that's really interesting. He's differentiating, I guess, between like that and traditional like body dysmorphia, people who yeah. actually, you know, are so incapable, I guess that's the best phrase to use, incapable of seeing themselves with objectivity. They just see themselves completely morphed into the antithesis of what they actually are. Exactly. And he talks about that as well, the body dysmorphia component. It's a fascinating book and it's a classic. Like it. Yeah. The other book that I am reading right now, The Secret Life of Fat. Yeah. I don't, you know, and it's funny. It's like, I get a, like obsessive about a book and it's like that book, I must have turned over half yeah. the pages in it. And I'm trying to bring Dr. Tara on the podcast because I literally couldn't put it down. Same. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, I read oh it. Oh my gosh. I had her on my show. She's awesome. You're going to love her. Yeah, that book was so good. The title is so good, right? The Secret Life of Fat. You know, something that I learned from her in that book was that women produce 33% more ghrelin after exercise than men. How fascinating is that? Yeah. It's like nature telling you to go eat, you know, because women are healthier when they have more body fat to conceive. Mm -hmm. So it's just so fascinating. So you're going to have a great time with her when you get her on your show. Yeah, I'm really excited. She's been incredibly gracious and, you know, tying in that hormone piece and appetite. And so I think on many levels, women feel so much pressure to look a certain way, to be a certain size, whether or not that's realistic remains to be seen because I feel like we have this increasingly obese, unhealthy, metabolically inflexible population. And then, you know, pre-COVID times, everything that you see on TV for the most part in movies is the antithesis. It's women who, in order to remain that size, restrict, can't eat, have to overexercise. And it's like, how do we make peace? You know, I, again, this is another philosophical question, but how do we make peace with our bodies, whether we're males or females? I feel like there's so much pressure on people to look a certain way. This is a pivot talking a little bit more about that book that you were reading. But, you know, I find that women are so incredibly hard on themselves and really, you know, have a preoccupation with being a certain size or being a certain weight instead of just being very healthy, having stable blood sugar, sleeping really well. I have one woman in particular who I'm very, very fond of. So I say this with great reverence and love and respect, but she's so fixated on the weight loss piece that she's missing out on all the other things, the beneficial things, the work that she's doing. How do you help your clients? You know, you have a large community and I'm sure there are plenty of women who it's all this self-flagellation. We're so hard on ourselves. We deny food when we're hungry. Great example of exercise and, and we're designed to eat food, you know, within a period of time after exercising. How do you help them make sense of what they're experiencing? Obviously validating feelings because, because whatever people are feeling is real. I'm not mm -hmm. indicating that. I just think we get very mixed messages in social media, we kind of put people on a pedestal that look a particular way. It's really incredibly unfair. It puts so much pressure. I mean, I were, I have boys, but I think how much harder it would be if I had young women in my home, given the things that they see on social media and in the media in general. Yeah. It's a really important question because when we start to compare ourselves to other people, whether it's our friends or family or somebody on TV, we're pretty much setting ourselves up for frustration, disappointment, mm -hmm. So I always teach, you know, not to compare yourself against anybody except yourself. We just want to get better each day. The beat yesterday shirt that I always wear, because it reminds yourself to just beat yesterday, have better thoughts today. You did yesterday. And it doesn't have to be dramatic changes. I think 
small tweaks lead to giant peaks. These small keys could unlock big doors. You just got to keep pushing forward. But once you start focusing or comparing yourself to your husband or a male counterpart specifically, males are going to lose weight much faster on average than women. We have higher testosterone and we hold more muscle. We burn more calories. So that's not a good comparison. But even if you're comparing yourself against other women out there, everybody has unique biochemical individual needs and requirements and your story and your journey is unique to you. Mm -hmm. So the goal is just to beat yesterday, just to get a little bit better each day and not to let the number on the scale determine your worth. I know you see it in my Keto Camp Academy Facebook groups and a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but sometimes members post about, you know, I'm three weeks in, I'm two weeks Mm -hmm. in, why isn't my weight budging or my weight has stalled? And I always share the same thing. First of all, let's revisit the fundamentals. How's your sleep? How's your stress? How's your mindset? And then if that's good, well, let's focus on non-scale victories. Let's step off the scale, give it a good seven weeks. Do you have more energy? That's a win. Do you have more confidence? Is your clothes fitting better? What about your skin? Is it clearing up some of the acne? What about digestive issues? Are you having less gas, less bloating? Maybe take some body fat percentage done. Those are much more important markers than the number on the scale. As the body gets healthy, you'll start to lose weight. It doesn't work the other way around. We don't lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy to lose weight. So pay attention to those non-scale victories. Don't compare yourself against anybody else. Everybody has a unique journey. And if you want to take it to another level, get some lab work done. Look at your inflammatory markers. Look at your A1C. That'll give you a full picture. And as your body heals, you'll get to that goal weight, but don't let that number on the scale take you off course or distract you. I think that's such an important point. And very clearly, if you're not hearing Ben's mindset, it's one of the things that I admire about him most is that he's probably one of the most incredibly positive, genuinely positive people in the health and wellness space. What do you attribute that to Ben? Is it an active practice that you do every day? I know you mentioned Dr. Wayne Dwyer. I know you have a very close relationship with your mom as well as your fiance. What do you attribute that to? Thank you for that, Cynthia. And I feel the same way about you, by the way. I attribute it to a lot of studying the self-development space, definitely Dr. Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, and self-practice. Every single day, I have notebooks and I probably have like 20 notebooks just filled with gratitude and goals. So I'm very intentional with focusing my energy on what I want to work for me because I understand the universal laws. And one of the universal laws is that whatever you feed energy to expands. Mm -hmm. So I've been in that life where I was feeding energy to depression, suicidal thoughts, toxic thoughts, things that were not working for me. I kept feeding energy to it. I was complaining. I was a victim and I got more of things to complain about. That's the universal (laughs) law. So then I shifted my mindset. I started to understand the greatest power we have as a human being is the power to change your thoughts. And we think about 60,000 thoughts a day. And most of those thoughts are the same thoughts from the day before. And they're usually negative thoughts. So I started to study this and understand it. And I got really intentional and conscious on those thoughts. So whenever a bad thought came in, a self-limiting thought comes in, it still does to this day. I've gotten really good at switching to a a thought that's going to serve my future. And I do that with affirmations, with my, you know, intentional thoughts that I have throughout the day and gratitude and self-love. Those are things that I still practice to this day. And I just love studying self-development. I just love studying guys like Bob Proctor and women like Lisa Nichols. And I'm just as much as keto. I love that stuff. Well, I have a feeling you've got another book in you, Ben. 
a, mi- a mindset book? Yes, I do. I truly do. I just had that, like I'm manifesting that because I think that your message is one that's so profound and so powerful. And you mentioned a couple people. So Lisa Nichols, who I've seen speak before is phenomenal. Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor. Is there a book, like if you were going to recommend a mindset book for someone that's a newbie, they're just listening, they love your message beyond actually keto flex, but a mindset book, what would you recommend to them? Where would be a great starting point? I would start with The Art of Living by Bob Proctor. It's a very easy read. It's a great starting point. And then that could take you to some of his other books, Bob Proctor's books. And then eventually I would like for you to get to Dr. Wayne Dyer's, what is it called? Intentional Living is a great book. So I would start with The Art of Living by Bob Proctor and then work your way through the other books. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And so I want to be really respectful of your time. We had a little bit of a technical hiccup at the beginning of this recording, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to lead back to Ben's book, Keto Flex. And so if you could leave listeners with one big takeaway from your book, obviously this is on my like top books of 2021 that is really valuable, will be a great resource point and inspiration for listeners that are interested in keto fasting, cycling, modified schedules, et cetera, what would be a big takeaway that you think would be of value to them? Yeah. The book talks right in the beginning. It talks about how important it is to be proactive and not reactive. Albert Einstein said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So why do we want to get to the point where we are actually being diagnosed with a disease? And I also say in the book, if you're having a conversation with your doctor and somebody tells you, hey, you have a disease that's terminal, what they should really be saying is that their ability to help you is terminal. I mean, nobody should play God. I believe the body is really incredible. It could heal no matter what you're going through. So the the big takeaway in the book, I outline right in the introduction, and that is there are three rules to healing the body. And that is number one, identify interference. And usually it's more than one thing. It could be that you're eating too many processed carbs, too frequently, maybe it's toxicity, but identify the interference, number one. Number two, work on removing the interference. I help you do that with keto and fasting and sleep and mindset in the book. Number three, allow the body to heal. Those are the three principles to healing. Identify interference, remove interference, allow the body to heal. And that's what the book is gonna teach you to do. I really believe when you treat your health casually, you end up a casualty and we don't want to do that. We want to be proactive and I want to help you become a genius like Einstein said. And I feel like when you read the book or listen to the book, when it's going to be out on Audible, you're going to be empowered to understand that you are a genius. You are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. And that is the message I want to get across with the book. Well, I'm so grateful for your time today. Obviously, this is our second interview. We will link up the interview we did in 2020 as well. Ben, let us know how to connect with you, get a copy of your book, which is on Amazon and is selling like wildfire. How can we connect with you outside of this podcast? Thank you, Cynthia. I just love having these conversations with you. And we do our weekly clubhouse every Monday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, which is always a blast. The book is trending number one still to this day on Amazon. So you can get it over at ketoflexbook.com. There's a Kindle and a paperback available. And then late May, early June, there should be the audible. So ketoflexbook.com and then anywhere on social media, just type in my name. I would actually, the perfect transition for your audience would be to go to my Keto Camp podcast because this is a podcast. So just transition to my Keto Camp podcast. You could start with the episode. I had you on my show last year mm. and you're coming back. 
So that would be a great resource. And anywhere on social media, just look me up and you'll find me. Awesome. Well, Ben, as always, a pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFOS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.